Hello there. Welcome to the very first episode of the Mixtape Podcast, a podcast dedicated to deconstructing the films we love. You may be asking yourself what differentiates this podcast from most of the other ones that you may have heard there on the interwebs about film. I am a screenplay writer, so the way that I approach film is very clinically as opposed to a standard audience member who just watches a film for the hell of it and the enjoyment of it. I really try to get in there and analyze it up to the nines. And you may be wondering, am I going to be doing this by myself? No, I'm not going to be doing this by myself. I'm going to be doing this with a very good friend of mine. She is, in many ways, the sister that I never had. She is my Chadich. She is just a very, very special individual that I met in a very roundabout way. Just quite simply, I came to her defense. So with that being said, I would like to welcome Dean Stark to the podcast. Hello. I remember that. I remember when you... I remember what I posted. I posted a picture of Bondi Beach and I said, this is my backyard. And then some... Um, how do I put this? Some not nice person came along and went, uh, is that really your backyard? Like, just being a smart ass. And then... Marcelo swooped in and was like, I'll save you. <laughs> and he did. And here we are. Yeah, well, uh, a couple of things happened in between that, but I'll take those. I'll, I'll take that uh, for, you know, I'll, I'll take that version of history. But here we are. And the film that we're going <laughs> to the film that we're going to talk about today is a film very near and dear to both our hearts. We're going to be talking about the 1992 film. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, written by one of my, how can I say this? Written by one of my idols from a creative standpoint, Joss Whedon. So before we actually get to the movie, I just want to hear um, your experience with Joss Whedon. Was it this film or did you actually... Um, uh, you know, get in, get introduced to Joss's work from his show first. What was it? It was Buffy the show. Uh, when I watched Buffy the movie, I was way too young to be caring about who wrote or directed what. I didn't care. I was just like, oh, this is a cool movie. When the show came out, I was a little bit older. So I was like, oh, who's what, who's this? And I always saw Joss Whedon come up in the credits. Joss, I'm like, who the hell is this Joss guy? And as the series progressed, I was like, wait, he created it? And then I went back to the movie and I was like, oh, he did that too? Because, like, my mind just did not <laughs> link the movie and the show that it could be from the same person. But, yeah, it was from Buffy the show that um, I really became a fan of his creative endeavors. No, uh, for me, actually, it was the opposite. For me, I fell in love with the movie first and Joss to make a long story short, really in, really ingrained his writing style into my soul from a really, really young age. I mean, I would go around and try to tell everybody that I, everybody that would listen, you know, I'm a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, almost every script that I write has Joss's DNA in it to some extent. So, you know... I'm very, very grateful to him from a creative standpoint. And this film uh, was the start of that for me. So um, I, you know, I know that you have some points that you want to hit. So uh, you want to start on those? Yeah. So when I reviewed it, look, I've seen Buffy so many times. It's a childhood favorite. I can quote the lines of dialogue, but I watched it again yesterday and I wrote down notes because it's <laughs> – I've never deconstructed Buffy before because it's such a perfect movie from my childhood. I connect with it emotionally that I've never actually watched it through a writer's eyes, but I did yesterday and I came up with a lot of points and I was like, oh, is this going to ruin Buffy for me? I, I hope it doesn't. But, yeah. So, first of all, 
the movie starts out in the medieval times, right? In the 14th century and Buffy is like a peasant girl and there's vampires and Lothos is there. So he's like the big bad guy. Um, and then it goes into um, the uh, dance sequence when she's a cheerleader. But what I wanted to ask you, and we talked about this only, I don't know, a couple of hours ago, is you've read the original script. I haven't. You've given it to me. I'm slack. I get that. But what – is there more medieval stuff in it? Because throughout the the movie, there, it starts off medieval and then there's like two or three sequences that you kind of switch back and forth. And for me, it took me out of the movie. I didn't like it because it felt really out of place. But from someone that's read the original script – is there more of that in the original script? Is that what Joss was going for and they just took it out for the movie? Yeah, actually, um, the dialogue is much more violent and much more Joss. It's funny, but it's actually violent. And the, and the film, for you know, to his benefit, as much as I love it, is very, very cheeky and strays away from the violence. The opening sequence is basically a knight comes into a bar and, uh, you know, goes up to the bar, gets a drink from the barmaid, and the barmaid is a slayer. So uh, cut to a couple scenes later, the barmaid is showing the knight up to uh, his bedroom. And as soon as the knight opens up the, his, the, the, the room to his door, there's a vampire there. They have a quick scuffle and... You know, a couple of moments later, the Slayer, a.k.a. the barmaid, comes racing to the door, kicks the vampire's ass, uh, you know, you know, throws the vampire outside of the window, crashes down, slays the vampire. And then Lothos actually, um, God, I'm going to be so happy I'm cutting this because this is a disaster. Uh, what Lothos do you mean? Act- <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Lothos. Lothos actually breaks the spine of the slayer. So he so he puts her into a trance. He he you know he uh he throws her neck back and he actually breaks her spine. Whoa. So it's very, very violent. Um and in the movie, we cut right to Buffy uh doing cheerleading at a basketball game. Well, in the original script, it's actually a football game. And it's very, very more Joss Whedon-y. Um, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. You just have to read the script. So I hope that you, at some point, read the script because the script is a lot more like the show than the movie. If that makes a, uh, if that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, one of the questions that. I wanted to ask you, which I thought was quite funny because this has never come up in the 200 plus times I've ever watched this movie. Um, the Lothos's left hand, <clears throat> which is the, which is basically, I call him Pee Wee Herman because that's, that's mm. the character that everybody knows him as. Do you know what his name is in the movie? Uh, no, but actually his, he, he actually does have a, uh, a, a name in the script, and I was just looking at it a couple hours ago. I can't remember. Right, name. right, right. But I never knew what his name was until I deconstructed no, yeah. the script, and I wanted to write down his name. And I went to write it down, and I went, "Oh, what the hell is this guy's name?" I just called him like Pee Wee Herman, and I had to look it up because I don't know if you know this, but his name is never actually mentioned in the whole movie. Every time Lothos talks to him he's always like come here get over here we're going he never addresses him by his name so nobody's gonna know this guy's name and i found out his name is actually amelin and yeah, i was like amelin, that's it that is so weird because they never mention it i guess maybe he wasn't an important enough character to mention his name but that's something new that I learned. Now, speaking of him, he is actually one of my favorite characters. And I wanted to talk about a scene right at the beginning um, after the, the basketball cheerleading thing. And then Buffy goes with her friends shopping and then she bumps into Merrick. Um, a little bit after that, one of the basketball dudes is walking home by himself and he walks past this 
merry-go-round. And this scene, even now, creeps me out. I don't know why. It's just creepy the way that they filmed it, the way that they lit it. Like the guy that plays Pee Wee Herman, like it just creeps me out. So he's walking past the merry-go-round. And then in the next shot, here comes like Pee Wee Herman, like seductively sitting on one of the carousel horses, giving this creepy grin. And he never says anything. And I'm just like, it's the creepiest, like, it's the scene. Because <laughs> they light, the way that they light him is like from underneath. So he's he just looks like something out of like a haunted horror house or something. But do you remember that scene? Like, I know you know that scene, but do you think that scene was creepy? Or is it just me that gets creeped out by that? Like his facial expression in the scene. In the movie, in the movie, the screen, the the in the movie, the scene that you're referencing is creepy. But in the script, actually, it's quite different. It's not Pee Herman at all. Uh, Ruler gets killed by somebody who's been turned into a vampire at their school. So Ruler is walking through the park, and this student actually, you know, starts playing around with Ruler, and Ruler, thinking that this guy is still human, bullies him as he often did when he was alive and this vampire ends up ends up picking him up taking him off the ground and killing him while he's actually floating in the air so okay that um, sounds better <laughs> yeah yeah way better. better and actually i don't mean to jump around a little bit but uh lothos's whole lair basically uh when he kills cassandra actually lothos is coming he comes out of a pool of blood uh and he's all bloody and shit when he kills Cassandra and it's, oh, and it's much cool. more visceral and violent. Yeah. Uh, not to jump around a little bit, but no, that sounds awesome. Cause I remember that scene and in the scene in the movie, he's just, he just kind of like floats up. Mm-hmm. And even though it's like kind of creepy, it kind of would have had a, it would have packed more of a punch if he was kind of drenched in blood, but I guess they didn't want to go the more sort of, Violenty, violenty thing. Um, the next thing that I that I thought was quite fun. I don't know if it's funny, but it's when Merrick first it, like talks to Buffy when she's working out in the gym and she's by herself, right? So she's six. Is she? she I think she's like sixteen in the movie. I think fifteen. Mm-hmm. 16? sixteen sounds about right. Yeah, and she's working out. She's in like she's like half dressed, and then this guy walks in. He's in a long trench coat, and he's like old as shit and he's like oh so yeah you're the chosen one and now you have to come with me to the graveyard because i have to prove it to you because it's your birthright and i'm watching that scene now through my eyes and i'm like whoa that scene's super creepy like can you imagine if you were like in in like practicing gymnastics and then this guy comes come with me little one come with me to the graveyard um and then what did he say and she goes why why should i go with you and he goes it's time to stop the killing to stop the vampires i would be like okay um the exit's over here i'm gonna go here now it it doesn't come across like that but now that i'm watching it and deconstructing it it's really creepy. Like, he's old as shit, right? <laughs> She's like 16 half-dressed. He's like, come to the graveyard. Yeah, actually, actually, Merrick as a character is much more fleshed out in the script because when we first meet Merrick and he's following Buffy and Buffy's little cohorts, he's actually dressed more like a priest than, than you know, the standard, you know, brown coat, 50-style hat that they had Donald Sutherland in in the movie and also when um merrick uh comes across pike the fr- uh, um for the first time in the script he actually has a a cross with him and he actually has a picture of buffy when she was 16 years old so that to me sort of signals to the audience that this guy isn't a creepy individual in the movie they do none of that so when mm-hmm. he so when he confronts Buffy in the gym, it's very, very off-putting and it's very, very weird because you don't have any of that setup that uh, Joss did in the script. It's, it, it's yeah. Missing. Yeah. When I watched it when I was younger, I think I watched it when I was like, I don't know, like 12 or something, like really young. It didn't occur to me how creepy that is, right? But watching it now, mm-hmm. it's creepy and I wish they would have fleshed out his character a little bit more. Um Yeah. 
But on that, on the pike thing, I love the dynamic between Pike and Buffy because <laughs> what the writer has done really well in this is, well, Joss, they have set it up as like they hate each other, they're total opposites, they wouldn't even look at each other. And then by the end of the movie, they're like, you you understand their bond, like you, it's it works. Like sometimes in movies it doesn't work. It's like, oh, but they hated each other five minutes ago, but they've worked it in so that they're maturing at the same level. Like did you did you get that bond between them or did you think that the chemistry just like did not work? In the movie, I thought the chemistry worked really well. Um, I really, really felt for them as two people who found each other in a desperate situation. But um, I don't mean to keep referring back to the script, but early on when Merrick saves Pike from being killed, you don't actually see Pike for a long, long, long time. Like he is saved by Merrick and he doesn't pop back up for oh, 30 to 40 pages. So that is replaced with what you wanted. You wanted backstory on uh, Merrick, which you get in the script and you get a really good idea of who this person is and his lineage and his sense of duty. I mean, he goes and plays uh, miniature golf with Buffy at a point. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, like, like Joss, look, look, I don't mean to put down the movie that introduced me to Joss's work, but I think the worst thing I could have done is read the script for the original movie before we did this podcast. Cause yeah. I love, I love the original movie, but when I watched it tonight, I was like, I love this movie, but it would have been so much better if you would have gone with what Joss did ultimately, but mm. They didn't, and we got what we got, I guess. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't read the script. <laughs> I feel like, is it going to ruin it completely for me? No, I mean, it won't, but... but no, um, it won't. Yeah, I just think everything was more, what you're, from what you're saying, fleshed out in the script. The characters, the story mm. arc, like, it's it's a bit more violent without being, like, totally, like, ripping people's heads off. I don't know. Does that happen right. in the script? Does someone rip someone's head off? No, but... uh, no. Yeah, uh <clears throat> But, um, I mean, this was quite cool. Uh, you know the scene when uh, Buffy has her first encounter with with uh, with vampires in the graveyard, right? Mm. When Buffy stakes that woman and she falls to the ground and dies? Yep. In the script, Buffy gets blood all over her, all over her face. And the oh. next morning in school, she's sort of dealing with PTSD. <laughs> oh, that would have been fun. Yeah. Um, you know, but with that being said, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Um, one thing that I do like about the movie is that before Buffy is, you know, um, before Buffy is shown that she has a responsibility to save the world, kill the vampires, she is pretty much like a airhead 90 style girl who doesn't give a shit about anything. But mm -hmm. after... After Narek, you know, shows her that she is she is meant for more. She she grows up very very quickly in the movie, and for someone her age, I found that very very unique, because normally you would have Pike being the guy who is the hero, and in this film you have Buffy who is the hero, and Pike is for the lack of a better word, plays the role of a woman. So I really like that choice that uh, the movie made and um, that, you know, you know, the script didn't really bother with. Yeah, I really, it really did sell me on that because, yeah, you're right. Like at the beginning of the movie, she's really superficial. All she cares about is going out with her friends and like buying new things and just, just doesn't, she's like, like you said, she's a total airhead. But the thing that changes her and the thing that pushes the story into 
another direction is the graveyard scene because once she sees the graveyard the vampires and once she fights them it's like a complete switch in her head and i think that that is true to reality i think that if you were in that state of mind that she was in before and you had had an experience like that i think you would change because if you notice as soon as that happened her wardrobe starts to change because in the beginning before the graveyard scene it was very it was very um uh like flamboyant it was very colorful it was very tight as the movie goes on her clothing gets darker as she starts to wear like flannel shirts it gets baggier she's wearing like a black jacket like it's kind of reminiscent of where her personality has gone or where her mindset has gone and I never noticed that before but I really really liked that but a couple of things on the graveyard scene is I don't know who came up with this I don't know if it was Joss's thing I don't know if this was in the original script you have to tell me but the way she can sense vampires are near is she gets <laughs> cramps right now I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie, I was like, I'm really glad they got rid of that for the show. Because can you imagine if every time a vampire was close, Buffy would get cramps, the entire episode would just be Buffy cramping the entire time. So I'm glad they got rid of that. But I don't know who came up with that. Is that in the script? Um, actually, I, I, don't, I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. Yeah. Because it um, sounds stupid. I mean, it's just, I get why they did mm-hmm. it because they're like, okay, we have to, the chosen one is a female. It has to be a female. It can't be a guy. So mm-hmm. what's something that females get that guys don't get? Oh, they get cramps. Let's just go with that. I feel like not a lot of thought was put into it. It was just like, yeah, that's, that'll, that, that'll work. But even when I was watching it when I was like 12, it always seemed really random and really stupid. Like it just didn't work for me. No, I just, you know, I mean, I would have, listen, I, I can't tell you how I would have reacted when I watched this movie as a kid, because when I watched this movie as a kid, I didn't have the writer's brain that I do now. But if they wanted to do that from a script, pers- from a script perspective, they could have, but do it once and don't mention it ever again throughout the whole course of the movie. Do it once to set it up. And then don't overtly do it every time that she faces off with a vampire. The other thing that I loved from the movie, but is com- a little different in the script. I mean, this is this is the point where I started to rewrite her stupid fucking dumbass friends. <laughs> I would have, <laughs> I would have had her friends do exactly what they did in the movie, but. Uh, in the third act, when shit hits the fan at the senior dance, I would have had some of them apologize for their behavior towards her and join her and, oh my God, help. Well, I'll explain that in a minute. Join her and help her in the fight and essentially, God damn it, become the, the, the Scooby gang from the TV show. But again, I wouldn't have gotten any of this if I didn't do what I did tonight, which I think was the wrong decision. Yeah, I don't – look, <laughs> was it the best choice for you to read the script before this? No, because, I mean, we're talking about the movie and you're like, well, that didn't happen in the script. Well, that didn't happen in the script. And I'm like, are we talking about the movie or the script? But it does give us and the people listening – a better perspective of the original script, what was supposed to happen and then what they actually came up with. So I don't see it as a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, guys, guys, I will apologize because um, if this show doesn't get canceled after one episode, I (laughs) swear to you guys, I won't be like this every, every episode because we're going to talk about movies that are in our first season. That is 13 weeks long that I have never seen. So there are going to be times when, Dini's going to take the lead and I'm going to be the one asking all the questions. Yes. Um, One more thing I wanted to bring up about the graveyard scene, and it's so superficial and it's so stupid, but I thought, nah, you know what? I'm going to mention it because I think it's pretty – It's not again, I've deconstructed it so much. It doesn't need to be deconstructed, but what the hey, I'm going to bring it up. Not as much as me. 
<laughs> well, I don't think maybe I don't think you've thought of what I'm about to say. This is like deep diving deconstruction, right? In the graveyard, they're waiting for the vampire to rise, and the guy comes out first, and then the girl comes out behind Buffy and grabs her legs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So my question is, how did they get out of the coffins, right? To do that, I don't know if people, and this may be a trigger warning for people that have issues with being buried alive or whatever, or coffins, whatever it is, but it's not easy to get out of a coffin, right? Because coffins are actually sealed shut for grim reasons I won't go into, but it's sealed shut. So, it's not just open and close, it's they seal it and they lock it. So... I don't know, from a deconstructive point, how these vampires, not that vampires are real or this would ever happen, how they got out of it when they're six feet under and just jumped out. And don't tell me you've thought of this before because I know you haven't because this is my morbid shit brain that's just going, well, that that they, they couldn't get out mm-hmm. of coffins. How would they do that? They could. They could. And I would... But hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that'll that's gonna piss you the fuck off, <laughs> but I kinda I kinda just do want to do that. Yeah. At this moment. Mm. Number one, they got out because you know, writer's excuse. What do we do when we run into a hole in a script that we're writing and we just can't explain it? We so we say we write something that is so dumb and so stupid, and we just say you know, this is our one ask in the script that the audience just has to go with it. And you have to remember that although these these humans are in a fresh grave and they've just been recently dead, they are vampires. So they do have the human strength to, you know, you know, force their way out of the coffin and rise up through the fresh grave to attack Buffy and, you know, uh, 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 Narek. But then again, you know, that's 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 me just explaining it away like a writer. But you do have you do have a great point, though. Yeah, I mean, look, it didn't need to be brought up. But I, as I was watching it, I was like, that wouldn't. I don't. I don't know. Like I like I've said to you a million times, even if you write horror, which I do, it still has to be true to reality. You still can't mm-hmm. like there are still like rules. But again, we're talking about Buffy and vampires. But I just thought that that was pretty pretty um, funny to to bring up. The next thing that I want to bring up, which I did not get on the 200 plus times that I've watching it, that I've watching this, right? So Benny's been taken by Paul Rubin's character and he's been turned into a vampire and he's knocking on Pike's uh, window, right? Which is like two stories up. And I always think that this How did seems- nobody see him? Well, it's no. Well, it's not that. I'm going to bring up something that maybe you have never thought of before, right? Like the coffin thing. So Pike okay. wakes up. He's dazed. He doesn't realize that Pike is that that Benny is floating. Is trying to open it up. It's just a really, really scene, but really funny scene between them. And he's like, "You're floating. Get away from the window!" Right? Once he actually like realizes. My issue. It's not an issue. It's just more of a thing. Benny is floating two stories up. The only other scene in the movie of a vampire kind of floating is that scene that we touched on before with Lothos Lothos, when he's going to turn Cassandra and he raises up. At no other point in the film does any other vampire float, levitate, or fly, right? So it just seems uh, a bit weird that Benny and Lothos can do something that none of the none of the other vampires can do like if all vampires can do it why don't they just float away when they're fighting buffy they're like all right i'm losing i'm just gonna levitate the fuck out of here right that's a great point but then again i'm gonna explain it away by vampire by by writer's convenience but that's a wonderful point that i didn't consider yeah I mean, look, it's writer's convenience and it was a really, really, really funny scene between Pike and Benny and I'm glad that it was in there. But again, watching it through writer's eyes and deconstructing it, I'm like, why doesn't any other vampire float? Why is he the only one? Like all these other vampires Mm -hmm. could have lived if they'd just levitated away from the situation. 
Um, I think after that, we've got my favorite, one of my favorite scenes, which is the workout scene. That's my favorite scene. It's hot as shit. And it's just quick Christy Swanson. Not that she's in all the scenes because obviously some of it's a stunt double, but it's just such a great scene with one of my favorite songs over it, the divinals. Um, do you like that scene? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> it's, Come it's on. Hot, right? Yeah, it's hot. It's hot. Come on. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, but, you know, but for me, um, the scene that really takes my breath away, and this is partly because I'm a guy, but, you know, in, you know, in this podcast, you're going to find out that sometimes my brain goes to places that it shouldn't go. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, the white dress that Christy Swanson wears in uh, the the dance mm. scene in the whole third act is very reminiscent. Again, I have to stop doing this. It's very reminiscent of the dress that Sarah Michelle Gellar wears in Prophecy Girl Part 1 and 2. Oh, yeah, but, it is. It is, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. But, 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 this is where I will give the movie and Christy Swanson props. When Sarah wears it, it's... It's kind of flat. Uh, and Dean, you probably know where I'm going, but I'm not, not going to go all the way. Uh, Christy Swanson wears it very well. I'll just say that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is very, very entertaining for me. And I do like the fact that during that scene, uh, Buffy gets her trademark uh, black jacket or leather jacket. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love I love the dress. I did I don't love the dress when she first comes into the the prom because it just looks like uh it's it's quite hideous. But when her dress when Pike like rips her dress and it becomes that short thing, I was like, "Oh, that's cool. That works." And then of course he gives her his his jacket and the whole thing is just like that we I mean, it's weird, but it actually is kind of like a fashion statement and it really it really does work. But Going back, because that's at the end of the movie, another thing I wanted to bring up, which I thought was quite funny, is the scene where Pike is trying to leave and he's in his van and uh, Paul Rubin's character jumps on the front and Pike is like swerving in and out. And I know we've talked about like they changed the song, which I don't even know what the original song was, but they did they did change it to some other weird song. But anyway, other than that, I think the scene, that scene where he loses his arm and Pike crashes the car, he gets out of the car and Paul Rubin's character is standing there and he's got one arm. The dude has one arm and the first thing he says is, you ruined my new jacket. And I'm like, dude, you literally have to spend eternity with one arm. Forget about the jacket. It's not about the freaking jacket, right? You have one arm forever and he's worried about his jacket. And I was like, that's quite funny. <laughs> you know, you know, that scene, that scene is even funnier because in the script, God help me. Um <laughs> Oh, God, I swear to God, I'm never going to read the script to a movie that we talk about ever again. (laughs) In the script, there's a very, very short scene when, for the lack of this conversation, the Pee Wee Herman character and a bunch of his younglings are in, like, a convenience store. And that's the scene where he picks up the jacket. And I do know that he lives for eternity, but he's got to live, you know, fashionable for eternity so i could understand him being pissed about the jacket but the only way that i know that is because there's a scene about it in the fucking script but he's a vampire can't he just get another jacket he could but you know but you know what maybe that jacket was on clearance or something oh my god now you just Now I'm just I'm not even gonna listen to that. That was so like I, that's not even a, <laughs> maybe it was on clearance. clearance. Oh my god! Let's just move on from that weird random comment that I'm not even gonna. So after that, after that weird scene where he cares more about his jacket than he does about his arm, um, there's a really awesome scene between Pike and Buffy when they go back to her house, mm-hmm. and 
you can tell the bond is building because he's not a dick anymore and she's not superficial and they're kind of on the same page because they realise they've both tried to be, like, killed by vampires. And I think that that scene is so crucial to the bond they ultimately have when he goes to the prom with her because without that scene, it would have just been them at the movies heckling each other, them in the bar heckling each other, and then it would have been like, oh, hey, I've, I've shown up to the prom thing. So did you, did you like that scene? Because I thought that that scene was really, really well written and really um, solidified the fact that they do like each other. That's the scene where I went, okay, Buffy is very, very self-efficient and she is really taking on the responsibility of her calling. And I really, really did like that scene because like you mentioned, it's very, 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 it's very, uh, it is very, very well plotted out. And you do see the, you do see the tea leaves in their relationship growing. So yes, I, I, I thought that scene was great. Yeah, there's another scene that um, really shows that Buffy has grown, which is, I think it's either the the next scene, and she's at school, she's with her friends. She's not walking with her friends, because if you notice in all the scenes prior to that when she's with her friends, she's walking with them. In this scene, she's walking behind behind them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and they're talking about Cassandra's death, and they're like, oh, my God, Cassandra died. Oh, my God, she had your jacket. She still had your jacket. And they're like, oh, yeah, the jacket. And they're just talking about all this stuff that is just so superficial, and you could see Buffy's face, and she's like, oh, my God. Like, she's starting to realize the wheels are starting to turn in her head, that it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I want to hang out with these people anymore. And then the next scene is when – her boyfriend's friend grabs her on the butt and she flips him over and they're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, like that's not appropriate. Like, you should just let him do that and not, you know, defend yourself. And even then you can see in her face, like, who are you people? Why am I hanging out with you people? And another scene that's a little bit, well, not too far after that is when they're at the gym and she needs to talk to them and they just want to talk about, prom and what they're going to wear and blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, I need to talk about deeper issues. And they're like, well, we don't want to talk about that. You've changed. We don't like you. And they all left. And it was at that point that you just, for me, I felt for Buffy. I was just like, she was in this false fantasy world. And then when she needed her friends the most, they they bailed on her because they didn't want to talk about serious Stuff And I think for me, I don't know about you, for me, I really connected with her in that moment and that was her arc. I think that's when she came sort of like did a 180 and went from who she was in the beginning and she realized that this is who she is now and she can't continue to hang out with these people anymore. When you look at it, her friends in the movie are very, very superficial and throughout the course of the movie – it's it's just shown that everything that she cared about in the start before she found out, you know, that she's a slayer is very, 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 her friends are superficial. And all the experiences that she has had before that great scene in the gym, when she says, you know, I'm, you know, I'm tired of seeing the same stupid people every goddamn day, right? And even when she tries to mention... Merrick, the the character played by Hilary Swank, says, oh, you're having an affair? And then she goes, no, he's like 50. And the way they react is such, it is so teenage girl, 90s, bitchy. I love it. But it's like, guys, grow up and start realizing the world around you. But again, these, these characters are they look at the world one way and Buffy looks at the way Buffy looks at the world the way that an adult should it's true but if you if you look at it from this perspective if Buffy didn't have that encounter in the graveyard right if she wasn't the chosen one if she hadn't seen and encountered what she had she'd still be right. like them right so right. can you really blame them for being like that they haven't been through anything traumatic. They 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 no. don't realize. So Buffy's Buffy would be one of them if she hadn't gone through what she'd been through. 
No, I can't. No, I, you know, you know, I, I do sympathize with them because they haven't seen what Buffy has seen. I think that's my one ask in the movie that if the movie was written, if the movie was written in a different way, I would have had them be like, I would have had them say what they wanted to say, but then at the end, I would have had some of them become better people and not yeah, be so um, superficial. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't have done that because okay. some peop- some characters in movies don't have arcs and I like mm-hmm. that they don't have arcs. It's like, it's to me, it's kind of like they are who they are and they're not going mm-hmm. to change. Like nothing, this, mm-hmm. nothing is going to change them. That's who they are. And some people, you know, in people's real lives, that's, you know what I mean? Whether you like them or you don't, that's who they are. Nothing's going to change them. So, I like that they didn't get an arc. I like that Buffy didn't get a I'm sorry because did she really need a I'm sorry? No, she didn't. No, she didn't. Do you know what I mean? she, She didn't, she was just like, I'm done. Like, I'm done with these people. I don't need an apology. I don't need that because I'm going to go this way and you're going to go that way. Yeah, I again, I think I mean, I mean we I mean we came our goal today was to talk about one of the films that were, you know, is is very very important to us because we watched it, both of us watched it when we grew up. But I think I did I I didn't realize how affecting me deconstructing one of my favorite films of all time was going to be. I mean, I still love the movie, but it's just different now because i'm viewing it as a writer and as an adult yeah um i didn't know how i was going to go deconstructing it obviously i still love it i when i watch it again i'm going to turn my writer's brain off (laughs) because i think i think i I think i've just deconstructed it enough because it's just so pure and it's you know is it the best movie in the world no is it oscar worthy no it's not does it have the best actors in the world no it doesn't but is it from our childhood? Do we connect with yes. it emotionally? Yes. And that brings me to my next favorite scene. Other than the work, the workout scene is cool, but this is my favorite scene. So we're at the dance. It's at the end of the movie. Buffy comes in in that really awesome white dress. Um, the vampires try to infiltrate it. Her dress gets torn. She puts on the awesome leather jacket and she goes and she goes hunting for Lothos, right? Lothos is there. She go, goes hunting for him. The scene where she interacts with Paul Rubin's character, Pee Wee Herman, right? So great. Is just such a delight. And every time I watch it, I just laugh. Because his death scene is the best (laughs) death scene in any movie I've ever freaking seen in my life. It is so dramatic. And it is so (laughs) it's so extra. And that little that little look that he gives Buffy, like she stabs him in the heart and he starts like dying and then he stops and looks at her because she's not looking, she's not paying him attention like a child. And then as soon as she looks at him, he starts dying again. I'm like, oh my God. And then he just won't die. And he's just so dramatic about it. And even mid credit scene, he's still dying. Like <laughs> He just, he just... Oh, it's 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 the best scene and the best best death scene. I don't know if that was Paul Rubin's idea to do that, and they just left it in. But yeah, that's that's my favorite scene in the movie because I just I just can't stop laughing at it. You're forgetting the best part, right? When mm. when you know you know when Buffy has him, and before she pushes him up against the wall, he hits her with a with a statue or something, and she and he says. We're immortal. We can do anything, Buffy, right? And she pushes him against the wall. And she's just about to stake him. And he goes, oh, yeah, you can do anything, right? And she goes, clap. (laughs) And and it's like, it's so fucking good. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. But, yeah, that's that's my favorite scene. Look, the scene that I think, and even watching it when I was younger, I didn't really love was the final battle between Buffy and Lothos in the gym. 
that was really lackluster to me. I felt like he's like an immortal vampire from like the 14th century, right? And probably beyond that. And she killed him so easily with minimal effort. I understand that the movie is kind of like a kid's movie, but I don't I don't feel like she was really pushed to her limits. Like, for example, in the show, you know, when Buffy goes up against the master, like, she died. <laughs> Do you she know what I mean? Dies. She fucking died. Like I mean, that's I, a, that's the limit. She died. Yeah, I, 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 I don't mean to laugh. No, but it's true. But in the movie, you know, it was just it was a two minute scene. Like it took her longer to sort of I think fight Paul Rubin's character um, and other vampires in the movie than it did to fight the bad guy. Like if if the whole movie is like gearing up for the ultimate fight between Mm -hmm. hero and villain it's got to be good like it cannot just be lackluster and i just felt like it was lackluster and also i felt now you can tell me if it's different in the script i didn't like how um uh, rutger hauer portrayed lothos he portrayed him like stupid and funny i don't know if he's like (laughs) that in the script though oh no 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 in the script uh, Lothos is much more like the master from the show. He is mm. one bad motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, in in the script, I mean, he's funny, but he is he's more like the master from the show. That's all I'll say. And the reason why the Lothos character worked for me as a kid was I just thought he was funny and he was you know kooky and crazy. But like you. The final confrontation between Buffy felt to me that it should have been more epic and Buffy should have gone through some gone through some more fucking shit. And the fact that she yeah. didn't really bothered me. So I am completely I am in complete agreement with you on that one. So I only have two more notes left. Um, one of them is the soundtrack. The soundtrack is banging. The soundtrack mm-hmm. is life. The soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks yes. ever. I have it on CD um, and on my Spotify list, but it like every single song on that soundtrack is just pure gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soundtrack is actually the second the second um, soundtrack that I imported into Spotify. And FYI, when we're on Spotify, I don't care. Fucking Spotify, I know you're listening. You need to make it easier for people to import their music. Oh my god. It's such a a fucking nightmare. It's such a nightmare to put music to put your own music on your Spotify playlist. Oh my god. They make you they make you jump through hoops of fire, I swear to God, (laughs) to just put your music on and have it stay there because sometimes it goes away. Like I'll be playing my like a like a song and then it'll skip to the next song, but it won't play. And I'm like, why aren't you playing? And like, they'll just, I don't know. I reckon some gremlins just get into my Spotify playlist and they're just like, huh, we're going to take this song off now. And I'm like, fuck, really? Anyway, we're not talking about Spotify (laughs) and how fucking annoying Spotify can be. Um, But the Buffy soundtrack is friggin' awesome and I would recommend anybody to go buy it, listen to it, download it, whatever. It's It's actually really, really amazing. Um, but you, you're, you're right. Uh, like, like just, just a little thing about me. I listen to the soundtrack every Monday cause the soundtrack just gets my heart racing and pulsating and gets me ready to take on, uh, the, the nightmare that is my life. Um, <laughs> I'm glad the Buffy soundtrack can help you through your nightmare. That is your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in summation, um, from just looking at this film from a fan perspective and taking taking the fact that we just sort of you know dissected it and took it apart to the to the point of not liking it anymore um if we take that away from it how did this movie um how did this movie sort of affect you as a as a as a screenplay writer did this movie uh, have any lasting uh, impact on the way that you uh, write your characters or the way that you construct the way that you construct story at all? Uh, no, it doesn't. But what it did, but it did something far more 
special to me um, than that was when I watched it. At the age that I watched it, it was the first movie that I saw with a female hero that kicked Mm -hmm. ass. Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously it came up for the TV show and, you know, obviously there have been female heroines before that, but I, you know, when I was 12, I hadn't seen Alien, I hadn't seen, you know, Terminator, I hadn't seen any of that. So, the first encounter was Buffy and I was just like, oh my God, there's a girl and she stands up for herself and she fights and, but she's like a good guy and she does good things. Like, for me as a female, like that was everything. It's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. So, I'm so emotionally connected to that character and every time I watch the movie, it just it takes me back in my mind to when I hadn't seen any female standing up for themselves and then I saw Buffy and I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is so cool." And then of course the TV show came out and it was kind of it was different. I wouldn't say like better, it was just like a whole different thing, but yeah, it gave me the movie more so than a screenwriter thing and deconstructing anything like that. It emotionally for me as a female, it it helped me a lot. So that's what the movie did for me. For me, um, I mean, I've told you that I've I've told you variations of what I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell the people at home right now. But a lot of my dumb science fiction friend friends say John Luke Picard is their hero. They they look up to Jean-Luc Picard the most. Like Jean-Luc Picard really affected them in the core of their DNA. And Joss Whedon and Buffy did that for me immensely, perhaps a little bit more than you, because Buffy got into my soul so much that when I used to go to parties, I used to talk in such a way that after I would finish speaking to people... You know, they would, you know, you know, they would at some point go to my parents, you know, in the party and say, where did your son learn to talk like that? And my parents would just say, uh, he watches Buffy the Vampire Slayer and that's Joss Whedon. Mm. So Joss Whedon affected me in ways that I can't really express right now. So when it when it comes to that, you and I are on. Uh, the same page. I mean, if if I really look at it, the 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 two people that affected me the most as a individual and as a writer, hand in hand, are Joss Whedon and a man that is God to me, basically for what we do, uh, is Kevin Williamson. So I'm 100% with you on that one. Yeah. So it affect it affected us emotionally, and you know we can connect with it, mm-hmm. which is why I don't. Uh, you know, I'm not going to watch it through a screenwriter's eyes again because that's not No, how... we're not going to do that again. No, I'm emotionally connected to it, so I'm not going to do that. But the one other thing, I'm going to give you some trivia, right? I'm going to give you sure. some trivia on Buffy of what you may or may not know because this, I was like, oh, what? Like, even I didn't know this and I felt like I knew everything about Buffy. So, I'm going to talk about who's in Buffy. Now, people know, you know... Um, you know, David Arquette is is Benny and, you know, Luke Perry is Pike, the main character. Everybody knows that, right? And I think Holy by now- shit. Wait a second. David Dewey is Pike? How did I not see that? I'm so fucking stupid. <laughs> Go ahead. You ch- wait, you, seriously? You didn't know that? No, but it just kind of clicked into my, I, I, it just kind of clicked into my brain right now, guys. This is gold. You know why this is gold? Seriously, <laughs> hold up. Guys, you know why this is gold? Because Dean- Never gets to do this. It's very, very rare in our relationship that Dean gets to pull a fast one on me when it comes to pop culture. Yeah, never. So, just <laughs> never. <laughs> so just enjoy this for a second, and then you can go on with your trivia. But I'm serious. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Well, I thought that – okay, I thought everybody knew that. But wow. Okay, good. So we're off to a good start then. <laughs> so, okay, now – People that know the movie know that Ben Affleck is one of the random basketball players. You knew that, yes? Yes, yes. Yes. So he's one of the random buff- basketball players. But And people that know the movie know that um, Hilary Swank is one of Buffy's friends. Yes, you knew that. Yes, absolutely. Right. But I think what people didn't know, the scene in the bar where Pike and Benny order a hot dog and the girls are sitting at the table – 
the waitress that brings them their hot dog. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. So the waitress is, for my old friends, Ricky Lake. No way! Yeah. But now, you- Yes, yeah. it's Ricky Lake. So Ricky Lake, uh, if for people that don't know... The younger people won't know. She was a talk show yeah. host. She had a very – it was like a – not like Jerry Springer, but it was just a talk show on every afternoon and she was so popular. Like anyone from our generation knows who Ricky Lake is. So that's that's the waitress that brought them the hot dog. That's awesome. Um, and if you and you know, and if you really think about it, if you really want to get into it with a six, six degrees of separation thing – David Arquette, a.k.a. Benny, is in Scream, and Ricky Lake is actually mentioned in Scream in the bathroom scenes when that cheerleader is talking about bulimic and bulimia. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's great. That's See? You got the trivia yeah. as well. So the next person in it. Okay. When Pike is fixing his van at the mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. And he has a conversation with his boss. Do you know who his boss is? No. Who is his boss? His boss is Thomas Jane. <laughs> are you are you kidding me? Frank no. Castle? Yeah. The, the Punisher. Thomas Jane. Wow. That's his okay. boss. And he's okay. really young and he's got a beard so you wouldn't notice him. But if you look at him, it's him. And he plays a character called Zeph. Uh-huh. So I, the next one. I did not know that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I know he's not going to know this. The next no. one is the vampire DJ. The vampire DJ is actually played by David Arquette's sister, Alexis Arquette. Well, isn't that a guy? Yes, so it's a guy, but Alexis Arquette was actually one of the first transgender actors in Hollywood. So that's why it's a... oh. It's a guy because she's actually transgender, but it's it's okay, his sister okay. that has unfortunately passed away. Um, oh, that's very unfortunate. But um, yeah, that's his sister that that played the DJ. Now, do you know who the DJ before the vampire came in? So when we go into the when we go into the um, prom, there's a DJ. Do you know who that mm-hmm. is? No, that is Slash from Guns and Roses. Wait a minute. Is that the guy that comes in and he has a he um he has a he has a no the, uh, actually a, that's a student. Is that the guy that comes? Well, no, no, because I'm I'm thinking about the I'm thinking about the guy that comes in with his neck all fucking open and goes, guys, there are vampires out there, and he just falls. No, 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 so, no, no. This is the guy. DJ. Like when you first yeah, yeah, go yeah. into the prom, he's playing. He plays all the tracks. He plays. Yeah, he's got like that bowler hat on. He's got like wavy long hair. That's the yeah, lead yeah. guitarist from Guns N' Roses. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's all the trivia I've got. But that's pretty good, right? Like all these people yeah, in this good. movie that you'd never knew. Hmm. No, I'm. You know, I think. I mean. I mean, you know me. I don't. I don't care about the people in front of. Uh, in front of the camera, unless it's really fucking obvious, the heroes to me and and those of you listening to this, although I don't know why you would still be listening to this, um, <laughs> those so of you negative. listening, to- so negative. <laughs> don't worry, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna cut the shit out of this podcast, so don't worry. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> so yeah, but 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 you know, those of you will come to learn that I care more about the people behind the camera than I do in front of the camera. For Dean, it's a little bit different because she's good with faces and I'm not good with faces. Well, I only knew this because I looked it up. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, like I've seen this movie a billion times and I did not know it because they look so young. But right. I think the majority of people listening to this are not going to care about the writing and directing. They're going to care about like the who's in it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just us that care about and and writers and stuff like that. But I think the majority of people um, care more about the actors and shit like that. Right, right. Uh, so uh, wrapping up now, unless uh, you have uh, any, anything more that you uh, want to say. No, no, all good. Okay, wrapping up now. Um, for those of you who like this insane asylum first episode. 
the movie that we will be talking about next week is a movie very, very near and dear to my cohort's heart. It's a movie with uh, these guys who get on a grid and, and use light cycles for some reason. So um, with that being said, I will leave you with these final words. If somebody is kind enough to make you a mixtape one day, that must mean that they really love you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.